0: Hello again, folks. It's Marty Ross, your local Aaron storyteller. Here with what, now I promise, cross my heart, is at last the dramatic final episode of what has turned over the weeks into a a six-part epic. The story I call The Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid. Now an awful lot has happened to get us to this point, folks, but in essence, here's where we are. Our heroine, Sarah, has just swum clear of the temptations of the underwater world of the she, the fairies to you and me, yes the she and their ghostly companions, the the spirits, the phantoms, the spectres of all the sailors they have sunk upon the reefs over the years. Yes, he swum free of their, their secret underwater kingdom, below those various wrecked ships they've heaped upon the reefs they haunt, just off the southwestern coast of Scotland. Now Sarah's inside the, well, the only half-flooded uppermost ship among those wrecks. The she, led by mysterious, seductive Finn, close at her back. But ahead, among the rusting iron corridors of the wrecked ship, she hears, yes, she hears the voice of Doug, her husband, calling to her. Now Doug, with the help of an old uh, fisherman, Pete, has rowed out to the shipwrecks in the hope of rescuing her. So he himself has descended into that uppermost half-flooded shipwreck. Meanwhile, old Pete, the old fisherman, is uh, waiting outside with his wee rowing boat, but he's made it clear he's not going to wait very long. He himself, in the past, as he's told Doug, has had his own traumatic experiences with the she and the ghosts haunting those shipwrecks. So he's not going to stick around long. So anyway, uh, Doug has come in to rescue Sarah. Sarah is searching for Doug. Old Pete is waiting outside, but not for very long. What happens next? Well, frankly, it's just better if we uh, pick up the story from there. Our final episode of The Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid. Doug moved more cautiously now along the flooded passageways. That sound... Echoing his way from somewhere ahead had indeed sounded almost like Sarah crying out. But after his last encounter, he knew the tricks that might be played on him thereabouts, and so he had to will himself into risking another cry of... Sarah! Sarah, is that you? It's me, Doug. Sarah? Sarah? His voice echoed, echoed, echoed through the deadness of the ship. For a long second, only the sound of water lapping the rusted walls answered it. But then distinctly a cry of Doug 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 is that is that is that you it's me Sarah Doug uh, are, are you there sounding so like the voice of his wife that it it stirred him into a, a sprint through the water voicing further cries Sarah "'Sarah, yes, it's me! Sarah, where are you? Sarah, Sarah!' cries he had to force himself to, to, to break off in order to, to listen, to listen for any response that might help him steer his path. And the cries of, "'Doug, Doug, yes, I'm here! Doug, where are you? Doug, Doug!' did keep coming, albeit, thrown around in echoes so that he struggled to know which way next to pursue them. Another cry sharper Doug said him, gambling on a, a run around the nearmost corner to find himself confronted at the next passageways far end by a by a figure in his torch beam. so like Sarah. Sarah soaked and pallid and startled into stopping by the sudden glare that he froze himself, fearing being tricked as he had been tricked before. The two of them stared towards one another, silent, and then... In the same instant began, slowly, slowly stepping forward these cautious sloshing steps, swiftly accelerating into a mutual dash that saw them flung against one another in the most desperate of embraces, clutching one another tight the better to ensure the other was Real and alive, and not one more tormenting phantom. I I love you, he breathed close at her ear. I love you, and I've been an idiot to you more times than made sense, but, but, but by God, I fought to get to you tonight. And by God, I'm never going to let anyone, anything come between us again. You hear me, Sarah, my love. She drew apart from him slightly. I hear you, she said, wiping a little a little black slime off his face. Now then darling, uh, what's the chances on uh, going home? Oh yes, he said. Uh, 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 Of course, he he glanced around, belatedly grasping how far he had wandered from his point of entry into the wreck, how little clear idea he had of how to get back to that overhead tear in the hull, Uh, but this was the last thing to be telling his wife at that particular moment, and uh, with a sense at least of uh, of the general direction. He took her hand and began leading her back around the corner he himself had recently turned. As they went, there was a sound of several echoing splashes from the shadows behind them. Sarah halted a second. Glancing nervously back, Doug started to ask her what those sounds might be. But before he could speak, she was starting forward, her hand now doing the pulling. Doing his best to uh, recall and retrace the route which had brought him there. They, They started, yes, yes, this way, along the next section of passageway. The echoing. Splashing sounds followed them, however, and by the time they were halfway along, further splashing sounds had started to be heard from, from ahead as well. Sarah stopped and Doug stopped alongside her. "Our, uh, Our boat home won't wait much longer, darling, said Doug. That's the least of our worries, said Sarah. I, I, I faced up to what we're facing here, he said. I, I know I can get past it. Darling, she said. You don't know the half of it. Ahead, at the next turn of corridor, figures came, splashing into view. A whole cluster of them, tall, shadowed, yet with a glow of mingled gold and silver about their silhouettes. Having blocked the route around that corner, the figures were content, momentarily, to stand there. More splashings behind, more figures lunging into view around the corner they had just left. Again, the way back obstructed. These figures, likewise, were content to to stand there. Save for one of them, who began wading forward in his own good time. Doug swung his torch beam around it, fastened on, on Finn. Finn unblinking in the white glare. Finn stepping towards them with all the command of his surroundings. Of an angel content to have fallen in a spot so dark. The better to shine against it. So bright. You left us a wee bit prematurely, Sarah, he said. As you can see... It simply brought you back to us by the long way round. The way we're going is the way out of here, cried Doug. But such a way doesn't exist, replied Finn. If you ever supposed it did, well, what can that have been but a dream from which you're about to awaken? I know the way I came in, said Doug, and I know the way we're going out. Where is it? said Finn, glancing around. Here? I don't see it. Speak to your wife. She'll tell you the reality we've wakened her to here. And it doesn't include ways out. Oh, uh, you can stay too. You know me, I'll I'll do what I can with any old scrap of driftwood cast my way. But you, Sarah, you have a grander destiny down there in the deepest waters. You barely glimpsed it before you tried to flee. Didn't give yourself time to adjust to the beauty of it or with something to be watchful of when diving to those kinds of depths, the pressures, and so on. But I held your hand then, and I'll clutch your soul tighter still, until you accept your place among us. I'll decide my own damn place, thank you very much, cried Sarah, Uh, uh, and I've decided it's not here. Then you force us to take the decision out of your hands, said Finn. Because there's only one possible way this is ending. Or beginning, rather. Since you're going to be with us a long, long time. Come. Come. You know how it works. Kiss the sea. Then you'll breathe the sea. And then, forevermore, you'll be one with the sea. Kiss the sea. Breathe the sea. Be the sea. At either end of the passageway, the other figures had begun shuffling, splashing forward, flexing, webbed fingers, chanting... Kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea. Stuck between these two advancing forces, Sira and Doug shifted about Helpless to see any way out past the corroded metal and hard, fish-stinking shadows so close about them. Finn remained foremost among the forces advancing on one side, his confident stride shifting towards a sprint as he led the chant for all the others. "Kiss." the sea breathe the sea be the sea Doug and Sarah clutched one another not knowing what else to do Kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea. The harsh. Metallic sound came from somewhere above, so startling that even those advancing spectral figures stopped short, all looking up to the low, curved ceiling that had once been the inner side of the ship's hull. A narrow inward dent had become visible in the metal just above. Doug and Sarah's heads. Another metallic report, and this time the long corroded steel suffered a a sharper downward indenting. Almost as if some great bird with a long narrow beak were perched above outside, trying to Peck its way in, in, in through the metal. A further lengthened the indentation and split it open at its lowest point. A point of some other metal now protruding. This was then wrenched to one side tearing an open flap in the hull's steel, so thinned and eroded by decades' worth of batterings off the salt sea. Further wrenchings through the metal followed, akin to someone hacking through a tin can with a pocket knife, opening a ragged hole through which old Pete leaned casting aside the anchor whose point he had used to break through the hull and reaching down with both his hands. If yous two are up for shifting your asses, i will be up for shifting them, no! The figures to either side of them broke into a sprint, screeching their chant shrinking the gap that remained to either side of Doug and Sarah. Kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea. Doug grabbed Sarah, hefted her up with all his strength. Sarah threw her arms high. Pete caught her wrist started, dragging her up. Dug, pushing from below at her legs and feet, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea. Even as Sarah struggled, struggled up, and was 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 hauled onto the upper side of the hull. Their attackers reared close at both sides of Doug. Kisses he breathe, be the sea, kisses he breathe, beat the sea. Doug swung one way with the great bladed knife, swung the other with the weight of the outsized torch, hacking and beating a few oily gobs of ink black blood into the air, only to both weapons rapidly wrenched wrenched from his hands. Above, both Sarah and Pete now reached down through the gap as far as they could, yelling at Doug to leap. <laughs> leap he did, howling with the effort. Pete gained and lost a grasp on one of Doug's upflung arms. But Sarah caught hold of Doug's other wrist. Even his other hands below shifted to seize him. Kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the sea. Ah, ah, Doug cast upward his other arm a second time, and now Pete did fix a hold. He and Sarah dragging Doug up as swift as they could against the, the seizure of those hands below. Kiss the sea, breathe the sea, breathe the sea, kiss the sea, breathe the sea, be the, the sea. Doug himself doing what he could to, 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 to kick. Wily at his attackers, taking particular pleasure in smacking the thick sole of his Wellington hard into Finn's handsome face. Somehow, in the thick of all this chaos, with no more loss than that—that single Wellington boot—Pete and Sarah succeeded in drawing Doug clear and up, up. Up over that ragged edge and onto the, the damp and gritty slope of the hull's exterior. Doug and Sarah had both barely snatched a breath back before Pete was yelling at them to Get your backsides down in that bloody boat! Go on, go on, do it sharpish! For already glowing, glinting hands were taking clangorous hold of the edges of the hole starting to drag heads and bodies up after them kiss the sea, breathe the sea be the sea, kiss the sea breathe the sea, be the sea Doug and Sarah had risen to their feet and started a step or two down the hulls slippery slope towards the rowing boat before they, they properly registered old Pete's remaining where he was the anchor hefted back up in both of his hands. Wait, said Doug. Pete, what are you? What does a body look like? cried Pete. These bastards here haven't yet given up for the night, which means some poor body in it's got to distract them a wee bit. Well, yous get your asses in that boat and get yourselves rowing for that shore there. But, Pete, nae time for body sentiment. Get going! Besides, besides I'm maybe an old friend or two among this lot. And maybe we're lying overdue for a reunion. Maybe i got in and put it off too long already. Maybe that's why I came back here after all these years. Maybe I didn't have the nerve to admit it till now. That's a lot of body maybes. So let's get on with what's got to be. Move! Get your asses in that boat. There, quickly. Roll for the shore. Quick as you can. And already... Rising tall around Pete were several of the glinting, glowing figures who had clambered their way up through the torn gap, others rapidly following, Kiss the breathe the sea, be the sea, kiss the breathe the sea, be the sea. Pete whirled about, started smacking through the thick of them with the weight of the anchor, scattering them as best he could. Doug came for a second close to throwing his own weight into the fight, but Sarah, standing slightly below him, tugged on his wrist so hard that both he and her lost their footing on the damp metal slope and slid all the way down into the water near where the rowing boat bobbed. The fresh shock of the water's chill stirred them to a swift climb into the boat. And by the time they had helped one another through this, they looked back up, to see a dense cluster of glowing figures, overwhelming Pete's figure, dragging him towards the hole in the hull he himself had cut. No cry of pain nor protest came from the old man, though that scarcely made either of them feel any more comfortable or consoled as they grabbed the oars and started rowing. Fear saw them hefting the oars hard as they could and and heading for the the black smear of the shore. Fear intensified by the strange singing sound that appeared to pursue them above the slap of the waves. And even more so by the, the golden glow emanating from the dark hull and seeming to pursue them across the face of the black waters. Before long it was as if there were as if there were hands in the waves trying to to catch at their oars or to grab a, a purchase on the sides of the boat. They drove the oars like murder weapons and began to feel the, the turning tide sweep them up in rougher waves, driving them onward onward towards the shore. Before long they were driving themselves and the oars so determinedly that there there hardly seemed to be anything to them but that that relentless mechanical action, fear itself obscured by muscle strain. And then, abruptly, oars were smacking and cracking upon rocks in the shallowest water, and there was the beach immediately before them. They both leapt out, splashed into the water, scrambled up onto the shore turning and looking back to see to see that glow in the water receding towards what little of the wrecked ship's hull the rising tide had left visible the glow flickered a further moment around the spot where that tear in the metal must have been and then that too was gone And they were alone on the beach, in the dark, with the lifeless array of Finn's driftwood sculptures. Except, except it wasn't quite so dark they became aware. Above the cliff at their back a, a ruddy glow had begun to show. The sun rising? Oh, was that why those pursuing forces had retreated? They hurried past the, the driftwood crab, the driftwood eagle, the driftwood dolphin to the, to the zigzagging path that would lead them to the top of the cliff. They were near the top before the, the flutter in the air of a few burning scraps of cloth and paper plus an intensifying scent of, of, of smoke made them think twice about its being Dawn. At the top of the cliff they were confronted by the sight of their home, their dream home, engulfed in flames. Doug's memory belatedly flitting back to images of the driftwood effigies, broken parts, hopping and leaping out of the fireplace, setting the the hearth rug, smouldering. They stood there and watched as the house's central structure collapsed. ...and then made their way down the cliff path... ...towards the village. The story they told was... ...not of course the... ...the true story. Merely a... ...a a tale of the most... ...conventional house fire... ...in the middle of the night. The police and... Fire Brigade, and in due course their insurance company, accepted the story. The world runs after all on acceptance of such simple facts as being all the facts the world has to offer. Even so, as they were given lodging in the village for the rest of that night and the day succeeding, they could see... In the silent glances between the locals, that not everyone was entirely convinced of their story. There was the disappearance of old Pete, and the discovery of his empty boat to be accounted for, for one thing, but but no one said anything. Perhaps there was nothing that could be said. But yes, indeed, the insurance company accepted their story, insulating them from at least the the financial consequences of a so expensive dream, going up in smoke. In fact, with Doug's Hamburg deal finalised, it turned out they were the sort of people who could afford to lose a house or two. A new home, of course, had to be found, and fairly rapidly. For reasons perhaps obvious, life on the Galloway coast had lost something of its romance. And so they wound up buying a, a rather grand place in the in the southern suburbs of Glasgow. It was a gated community, very, very exclusive. It even had its own small swimming pool in the back garden. Doug developed a, a running joke about the, the postman needing MI5 clearance to get up the driveway. And his business, well, well, now almost entirely online after all, as it was, well, it, it could be done from there. At least as easily as from a cliff top, in the middle of nowhere. And after all, Glasgow had such good restaurants for the occasional business meeting. Uh, plus the, the, the proximity of the airport for the, for the occasional inescapable business trip. Sarah even got round to opening that little bookshop she had always talked about. The sort of place to go for the uh, the literary novel or genteel bestseller you, you just had to read. Or for witty stationery and uh, cheese and wine book signings by local authors. And so they lived. Theirs was never perhaps to be a, a perfect marriage but a Well a lot of imperfect marriages survive and prosper, and theirs proved one of those. Oh, they had their arguments, of course. There was one occasion, in fact, when they they quarrelled very severely over what, in in truth, was a a trivial matter. But it seemed serious enough at the time, and as a result of that argument, Sarah found herself um, hurrying upstairs packing a case, throwing it in the back of her car and driving off. She had driven a long way before she she fully realised where she was driving to, though it was hardly the first time. Memories of all she had seen beckoning her, welcoming her in that underwater kingdom had returned to her mind, amid even the most prosaic comings and goings of the so different life into which she had retreated. Sarah grasped where she was driving, just in time to, to stop short of the turning that would have taken her all the way out to that, to that particular point on the coast. Still in no mood to drive all the way back to Glasgow, she she opted to stop for a night in, in, in Stranraa, booking herself into a hotel otherwise filled with, with Northern Irish Rangers fans on their way back home from a match at Ibrox. The atmosphere in the hotel was inevitably raucous, and Sarah retreated into her room after a fish-and-chips dinner. The better to, to think through where the heck she was going to go the following day. But her thoughts were as wearying and circuitous as her journey had been, so she she finished the bottle of wine she had taken up to her room, crawled into bed and did her best to bully herself down into sleep. Sleep was slow in coming but when it came it was deep and so far as she could recall blank of dreams. She woke with a start and a shiver in the early morning, damp grey light and a salty breeze seeping through the Slightly open window, shifting slightly the shabbily hued net curtains. With another shiver, she she leapt out of bed, darted across the threadbare, crumb littered carpet, and squeaked the window closed. It was only in turning away that the thought occurred to her that she, she could not recall having opened the window in the first place. The previous night had been wet and cold after all. And then she noticed, amid the slow swell of that dawn light, a set of damp footprints making their way across the sandy brown carpet, all the way from the window to the bed and then all the way back from the bed to the window there was she now noted a little puddle on the uneven windowsill grains of sand within it she made her way across to the bed noticing now the dampish patch at the edge of her pillow as her fingertips traced the lie of that dampness comparing it to a similar damp in in the outermost strands of her hair at one side. She became aware of some dead lump of a thing beneath the pillow. She tensed her fingers, then reached forward again, reached forward and tugged the pillow aside there, there, placed underneath, was a little lump of what looked like, like carved driftwood. She picked it up, held it close. It had been perfectly sculpted into the image of a a mermaid. The classic curl of fishy tail. The very human nakedness above. The face which looked even more like her own face than when she had seen the sculpture first. What was now... A few years before, on a sun-swept beach, not far from where she stood on this cold grey morning. On that long ago day she had rejected Finn's gift, but now, now she tossed it into her suitcase, closed the case, checked out, climbed in her car and drove on. drove home, in fact, home to Glasgow. That latest quarrel between herself and Doug had, on recollection, been trivial indeed. Upon her arrival home, she she, she offered Doug no explanation of where she had been, but yes, she went back all the same and Doug, without question, was glad to have her, and so they lived on, nothing ever quite perfect between them, but well, close enough to be going on with, and it amounted in the long term to a kind of settled happiness, which is the most perhaps anyone can ask of a life so potentially at the mercy of harsher currents by far. Of course they, they still had their difficult moments their their fleeting moods and quarrels. At such times Sarah would often steal up to their bedroom and while while Doug gruffed about downstairs she would she would open the lowermost drawer at her dressing table. There, buried under the sort of soft linen Doug would never think of delving through lay the driftwood mermaid which she had concealed there since the long ago day of her return from Stranra. And she would turn the little sculpted figure this way and that in her palm, studying its likeness and unlikeness to the woman she was, as if it were a small and magical mirror showing not herself to herself but rather some other self, some other Sarah she might have been. Had she accepted a a certain offer at a certain moment and swum Wired our currents by far, swam them all the way to the sheerest beauty in their depths. And then she would hear Doug stomping up the stairs to make his side of the apology and she would uh, slide the mermaid back out of sight and, and close the drawer and turn and get on with her chosen life. And that life was long and secure and rewarding. One condition of its remaining so, perhaps, was that she never, not ever, told Doug about the driftwood mermaid. And that, folks, is the end of our story. See you here next week for another one. In the meantime, as we celebrate, well, this is the, uh, the six-month anniversary of my starting to tell these stories here at Aran Sound. So I ought to mention to you that if you want to catch up with any of our previous stories, from the lost bride in the Bogles Bridge to the rather spooky dance beneath a scarlet moon to the tear of the white stag, etc., 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 you want to check, out, check up on any of those old stories, check out... A podcast called the Magic Island Storytelling Theatre. Think MIST, M-I-S-T, Magic St- Island Storytelling Theatre. It's on Spotify, it's on Apple, Google Podcasts, Anchor, FM and a few others beside. You'll always hear my stories here first exclusively on Aaron Sound. Uh, but if you ever want to catch up with any that you missed... That's where you'll find them. The Magic Island Storytelling Theatre Podcast. Check for it online. Meantime, as I say, next week here on Aron Sound, another magical and mysterious tale for you. Thank you for listening to The Ballad of the Driftwood Mermaid.